Hi everyone, it's me, Imani Clough, founder and director of Imani Academy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my new Being Human Experience podcast. You will be journeying with me as I interview different humans sharing their experience of navigating the world. The podcast explores how individuals from all walks of life are living their truth, breaking down barriers and empowering others to do the same. So journey with us as we figure out this Being Human thing together. So this week I am joined by Liz Pemberton, known to many as the Black Nursery Manager. Liz is the director of the Black Nursery Manager Limited, a training and consultancy firm which focuses on anti-racist practice within the early years. Liz has over 16 years worth of experience in the education sector and her roles have included secondary school teacher, public speaker and more recently nursery manager. Liz is an inspiration to many within the community and within the education sector and she's been able to teach, manage, support and educate early year students, practitioners and professionals in a variety of forums. So Liz, can I just say, I've heard about you and your work over the years in multiple different spaces. And really? Yes, and I'm so glad that our paths have virtually passed and Woo-hoo. that we can finally have a really good conversation about the work that you're doing in the sector. Oh, Imani, that is just so like cute. Yeah, it's just, it's beautiful when your when your paths cross because like when I seen you doing your thing on Instagram, I was like, yep, 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 <laughs> and you know, I slid in your DMs. You did had a little chat um, and just commended you on everything that you have done as well because I think seeing um, young black women in Mm -hmm. positions of absolute authority, power and dominance over where their lives going to go and their careers are going to go is always very inspirational to me. I'm kind of like just over 10 years older than you and there are things that I kind of saw in you which I just resonated with me um, and I just loved it and also I told you you've got such a dreamy voice (laughs) So <laughs> when you, you know, when you invited me to be on the podcast, you know, I just jumped at that because it's an absolute honour oh, um, and it's really, it means a lot to me. So thank you so much. And thank you for that lovely introduction as well. Oh, I'm so glad right. we're going to get a chance You're to just. Welcome. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate those, those words as well, because mm. sometimes when you're doing work and especially when it's empowerment work and straddling that fence of empowerment and education space, they're often one in the same really, but. It can be a challenge, as you say, um, especially as a young black woman, navigating that space and showing up unapologetically. And I'm glad that we have been able to have a chat and Mm. that we can share more about your experiences within the education sector, um, navigating that space and the work that you're stepping into to now. So the Black Nursery Manager, Black with a capital B. Black with a capital B. (laughs) Black with a capital B. Why the Black black. Nursery Manager? Why not the Black Nursery Manager? Because I am Black and I am a nursery manager, or it is one of the many hats that I have worn and wear. And it is about getting people used to the fact that this intersectionality sits very, very comfortably. Um, And also it's about people being familiar with using the term black unapologetically, particularly in the kind of line of work that I'm doing, which is primarily anti-racist work within the early years. People are very concerned with terminology in general, but particularly in the early years sector, people are really unsure about what's the right word to use when describing or when talking about. 
And I'm just here to say, when you introduce me, when you speak to me, when you engage with me on my platform, it could be a podcast, it could be an Instagram live, it could be a phone call, it could be you introducing me to deliver a webinar, you are forced to say the word black. Yeah. Yeah. And being black um, in this, in this society often comes with lots of negative connotations. It's, it's demonized. We're marginalized. We're oppressed. Um, And it's for us to really take on this label and show how this label can be used to empower, to invigorate, to inspire. Um, And I think, in the work that I have done to date, my blackness, whatever that means to anybody, I know what my blackness means to me. It's never been something that I wanted to put away. Of course, visibly, anybody that meets me and knows me knows that I'm black, but you know, politically, um, and I guess at the core and the center of who I am and what I do, you know, my blackness is integral to that and it forms the, the tapestry of the fabric um that that's made me mm-hmm. and i think that's important and to remind people that black is not a dirty word no and no. all those images that are often associated with blackness which often are either stereotypes or very negative perceptions of black people whether that's mm-hmm. through media or people's own personal personal views mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i i think it's really important that you show up and remind people that yeah I am a black yeah. woman. Yes, you see me and can see that mm-hmm. I am black, but don't say that you don't see my colour. Um, yep. My colour and who I am influences every aspect of what I do. So, yes, totally. the black nursery manager makes the total sense to me. So, total Ooh. sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you said that you've, you've been promoting inclusive practice in the early years and the education sector, focusing mm-hmm. around race, culture and anti-racism mm-hmm. and why it should be considered in this practice. So Mm. what have you found most challenging about bringing this conversation to the forefront within the early years? I think the only challenge really is um, that I sometimes feel quite emotionally drained and Mm. separating yourself from the work when it is so close to home presents a challenge. It presents a challenge in that it forces you to make sure self-care is um, intertwined with everything that you do when you move in this space of anti-racist training and advocacy work and activism. Because a lot of the the paths that we kind of cross, they come at a personal cost. And that personal cost is, is your mentality, mental state and your mental well-being. And it can really change you. And sometimes it's for the better and sometimes it's for the worse. And I think that would be my biggest um, reflection about some of the stuff that I've done to date, the personal cost and me really drawing a, um, a line in the sand about where I choose to take self-care breaks mm-hmm. um, or where I choose to incorporate self-care and I think particularly moving in a digital space which is where we are finding ourselves increasingly now because of lockdown in this digital space of social media we're often confronted with people who have very strong opposing views when it comes to race and racism and anti-racist practice and although the early year sector would like to think of itself as a nice playful joyful lovely <laughs> polite space 
what I'm here to really expose is that when you take that plaster off, it's very, very, very um, horrible. It's very nasty. It's, it's painful and it doesn't look pretty. But in order for it to heal, we've got allow, you know, we've got to allow people to kind of rip those plasters off frequently so that we can all see what's lurking beneath it. And I think that's the thing with anti-racist practice in the early years sector, the two sit, you know, parallel. And it's a conversation that's often overlooked and ignored because they think it doesn't happen. Um, and when I say they, I mean all people, all communities, you know, we as black people might be very aware of, you know, how racism impacts us as individuals. Yeah. But sometimes we have to look at how um, racist um, practices are delivered within early year settings and also systemically how racist practices are allowed to thrive and prosper within the very systems that the early years uh, sector sits in. Yeah. Um, and that is within the educational space and it is within the care sector as well. You know, we're still regulated um, by Ofsted which is a government body and we understand we have a, a Tory government at the moment and we cannot erase the fact that that is heavily influencing the practices of Ofsted and the Department for Education as well. And it means that there's going to always be pushback and we have to be prepared to accept that that pushback starts from the, the ground up. It, it starts with the people. Yeah. In order for it to start with us, we must recognise it, point it out, um, and strategize about how we move towards dismantling this system, which does not serve marginalized children, racially marginalized children, primarily black children. 100%. And do you think what I was hearing there as well, like sometimes I think there's almost, well, who knows? It could be that people think sometimes that the early years is immune from um, racism. And things that happen there, they're just, it's just small children. But the lives of black children in that space, they're not necessarily seen as, um, they're already prejudged because people have that preconceived view in their minds. Just because it's small children, small innocent children, that small innocence of a child is very different when people are looking through a different lens at a child that is different from their considered norm if that makes sense, because people do um, treat black people as if we are a different species. So mm -hmm. who's this, why do, why, for what reason would that necessarily change just because we're talking about the early years, Does that, if that makes sense? It makes perfect sense and people want to apply a CBB's glow over <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, early exactly. years. Yeah, and, and what it does is that it erases the the ability for people to see through that glow and understand that the practitioners that you're employing, the management structures that you have in place, the system in which the early year setting sits is all built within a white supremacist structure. So, of course, if we look at it like that and we understand the lens through which we are viewing early years practice and the early years sector, it goes without saying that, of course, those same black children yeah. embody all of the things that black adults and black adolescents embody and encounter when they're going into the school system or when they're going into the NHS or when they're going into the prison system or they're going into the mental health system. Just because that, that black body is, um, is a child mm -hmm. 
it makes no difference because we already deal with the adultification of black children, the over-policing of black children, yeah. the behavior management of black children. It looks very different to the behavior management of the white child. It looks very different to the behavior management of the South Asian child. It looks very different to the behavior management of, you know, the East Asian and Southeast Asian child. All of these things exist you know very separately and it's why you know Imani I've spoken a lot on my page about mm -hmm. BAME and the dangers of that term and the dangers of the kind of lack of nuance when we're looking at anti-racist practice and where black children sit within that because our experience is very different to you know the racism that South Asian communities face for example um, and it's not the oppression Olympics but it is to say and to recognize that our treatment in this country for the many generations that we have been here, it has not got better. We are not to excuse the fact that, oh, well, you know, in America this happened. Well, that happens in the UK too, if we're talking about police brutality, if we're talking about the over-policing of black children in schools and early year settings, yeah. if we're talking about preferential treatment when it comes to which babies get picked up and which babies get left to cry, which babies are cared for and whose nappies are changed mm -hmm. and whose nappies are, you know, these are conversations that have to be had because they're things that are happening routinely yeah. within day nurseries. Um, and that is why the, the, that stringent kind of style of looking through an anti-racist lens must be applied when we are thinking about black children in in UK settings. And I guess with your Instagram page, you've mm -hmm. allowed people a window into your yes. world and the early years world. Yes. And I find a lot of it very informative, very inspiring, and I'll share because I know that there's parents that follow me, um, mm -hmm. there's people who, who are new to motherhood, um, mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity for them to look at the world in a different lens also from the different yep. spaces that they occupy as people who are not black um, mm. and see, just hear the explanation of people's experiences mm. and allow them to give, the, give them value. Because I think often um, black people are often in, in spaces where their, their trauma is uh, entertainment. Um, and yeah. often we'll have black people on TV talking about their experiences, but sometimes I have to question who is this actually for? But I think, what you've done really well with your Instagram page is using that as an educative space that mm -hmm. challenges people's mm -hmm. thoughts and perceptions. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more about the Black Nursery Manager's social media space at the moment and how that's kind of poofed out. Evolved. Yeah. Um, snowballed <laughs> in my knee like it's a mad thing like when I'm looking I'm like rah okay this is, this is interesting is that's what I'm saying to myself um, <laughs> in the, the middle of May so I created the page I started kind of putting a little bit of content there November of last year and in May of this year um, obviously we saw ourselves in lockdown and we um, as a as a nation uh we were looking at ourselves and thinking, okay, well, what's going to happen? People are going to be on furlough. People are working from home. People are not able to move in the way that they used to. And it forces you to rethink the reality of what's going to be happening the other side. And so in the middle of May, I thought, well, what I want to do is actually put to use some of this um, this 16 years of knowledge and, and, and information and experience. And what best way to use um, an Instagram platform than to 
share some of my experiences. And it's so true what you say, not for a spectator sport, yes. not for people to look into it and think, oh, the black nursery manager, she's going to just be talking about black issues. Mm. And primarily I'm talking about black children, but what I'm also doing is opening my space to children, families, adults, you know, people who are non-black actually to come in and engage with meaningful dialogue and very um, proactive tools to take back into their space if they work in the early years. But also, as you said, to educate and to inform to a point. Yeah. Because I also recognise that the labour of black women is not to be exploited. And as I said earlier, this is life. It's real life. It's my experience. And that comes at a cost and that is, you know, my mental well-being. So to a point, yes, but it's just really to open the floor to to have dialogue that will turn into action, not to sit in a woe is me space, but to say, well, actually, these things are happening within the earlier sector. These things are happening in nurseries, in nursery schools, in preschools, in baby rooms, in toddler rooms. Um, and if we want to make sure we've got an effective anti-racist workforce, and if we need to kind of look at that in different ways, we need to start here yeah. by having the conversation first and creating a safe space where people can do that. And I think one of my very first posts was just to lay down the ground rules. And one of the things that I said is that I will block swiftly. I, I respected that as well, actually. <laughs> No long things, you know what I mean? Because I'm not yes. here to facilitate white fragility. I'm not here to facilitate white tears. I'm not here to facilitate, oh, well, it doesn't happen at my nursery. You know, I'm not talking about that. It's mm-hmm. bigger than that. We're looking at the systems. And we'll have seen this now lately from the A-level fiasco, that you look at Terrible. the systems yeah. that are in place, that set an agenda, and we are meant to just fall in line. And you see what happens with people power when people push back. Yeah. But I often sit and think, you know, that A-level fiasco was really interesting because it highlighted how marginalised communities would pay the, the brunt of being poor, basically. Mm-hmm. And enough people made enough noise. But if this was exclusively just black communities, yes. would the U-turn have been made? And these are the questions, unfortunately, that as black people, we still have to ask ourselves. 100%, because yeah. that was a swift turnaround by the government. But I, I think about, you know, when I put that post up yesterday about what would happen, um, if if this this wasn't the case um and welcome to inequality you know this is what it feels like for yeah. all black and brown children within the education or the miseducation system so what i really wanted to do with my instagram platform was just to engage people into really starting to think very deeply whilst we had time to deeply reflect about how anti-racist practice can change and transform every space Mm -hmm. and eventually change and transform and impact policy because policy is what needs to be challenged but policy can only be challenged when people have the correct information and we're so far behind with you know talking about racism and anti-racist practice in this country because we have lulled ourselves into a false sense of security that it's not that bad here and that's all of us we're all buying into this notion absolutely very little can get changed and transformed because we're yet to admit we have a problem. And this is what I'm doing. I'm not allowing um, people to come in and discount people's experiences. I'm not allowing um, black people to use it as a space to uh, not support one another as we share our experiences if we choose to do so. And I think what's really nice is that it's an open space 
It's a page where lots of people in the community know me because of the many hats that I wear. Yeah. People know how I stay. And they also know that my work speaks for itself. Because mm -hmm. bear in mind, you know, it's a space where it's very, it's very vulnerable. It allows me to be very vulnerable and very open about what I'm doing. But I think one thing that's been really beautiful is that I have a lot of former parents, current parents, um, you know, of the nursery for that 16 years that I've been there who are on my page and are the only cheerleaders that I need to an extent that, that I guess, validate the work. They are the only people that matter to me. And by and large, my demographic at the nursery has always been black families, mm -hmm. black children. And they are all that matters to me because when we look at, as I said, like regulatory bodies such as Ofsted who govern yeah. you know, what happens in early year spaces, when we start peeling off the plasters, we see that they're not fit for purpose. There's not an institutional organization that is equipped to judge how well I do what I'm doing my children and family speak to that. Mm -hmm. The community and that's that you really serve. important, yep. 1,000%. And, you know, as black people, we have to try and move to a space of not only self-validation, but the validation of our communities. Yes. We must move away from the institutions that perpetuate white supremacy in lots of different ways and forms um, because it really is damaging. And, yes, of course, we have to play this game, but then there comes a point where you have to stop Mm -hmm. You have to start playing the game and you have to break away and step outside of it. And, you know, I'll give you an example, Imani. So for many, many years, you know, we've been operating in this space at Edgebaston Park Day Nursery. Yeah. And it's a space that is very vibrant. It's very beautiful. It's very um, exciting. Former parents, current parents, you know, people can't stop singing praises. But there'll always be a sector of the community that will have something damning to say. But that's life. This is really important that we understand this as a community. Not everybody wants to join the train. Not everybody wants to be on the boat. Yeah. People are going to have experiences that they're going to feel are unjust and unfair. And as I said, I don't pull punches. <laughs> no. So if you've come and joined my staff team and you're not up to par, you've got a jogger. Yeah. It just is what it is. And, and that's not you pulling up the ladder behind you. And I think no, that's no, what no, people no. have to also recognise. Mm -hmm. It's not you pulling up the ladder behind you and saying, mm -hmm. well, no, actually, I'm just mm -hmm. doing me and doing mine. It's not mm -hmm. that. It's recognising that it's, you're, you're, running a, um, you're running a tight ship. 1,000. <laughs> the ship has never been tight. I can't have any loose We're not going people. to allow you to sink my ship. Oh, no, no, no. And that's so important. Because, but I think even within yeah. that, it means that, you also have to play the game of meeting criteria. So yep. when Ofsted have come in, yeah, they've judged me outstanding and then they've judged me inadequate. And it, there comes a point where you, as I said, you seek validation from the communities that you serve because when institutions attempt to take things away, they are relying on you to also buy into white supremacy um, yes. culture and, and beg for that, beg for, the beg for it back. Yeah. yeah, I don't need your approval. And I think that was a really interesting time for me because on the occasions where we have been judged the highest, we have been judged um, by, you know, different inspectors yeah. um, and white inspectors, in, interestingly. Um, the judgments where we've received the lowest grades have been judgments given by 
black and, and South Asian inspectors. And that's, that's very interesting. interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. But you understand, mm. you see, when you are um, an agent of white supremacy, it doesn't mean that you have to be white. So this is it, skin folk. And they will send people that look like you yep. to deliver the harshest blow. Mm -hmm. And if we understand our history as a people and we know how we've come to get to where we are, it's come with struggle and it's come with struggle. Sometimes we've been held back by people that look like us. Yeah. And we have to be able to understand that, number one, not all skin folk are kin folk. Mm -hmm. Number two, that institutions produce institutionalized minds. When we're talking about number three, the decolonization of mindsets, we must look very closely at the people that look like us as well as the people that don't look like us because we'll fall into a, a very dangerous space and place. But it also means that we should challenge the institutions when they serve out, um, you know, unfair uh, judgments or statements about what we are doing. We should challenge that as well. We shouldn't sit in silence. And I think through my challenging, and I guess because I am the daughter of Yvonne Kerr, um, <laughs> you know, I don't take that chat no. and I will challenge anybody who comes to speak on the practice that I and my mom have worked so hard to create. And that have been most recently our experience with Ofsted. And I called them out on their systemic racism. I called the inspector out on her anti-blackness. I challenged them, not because I thought they were going to reverse, you know, the inadequate and give us back an outstanding, but because they need to know need that. To know. Yeah. It's not about taking things lying down, but also when I look at the, the um, I guess, what led it to become uh, an inadequate judgment was because of, cultural compatibility and when I say that Imani I speak to um you know the Amy Jordan situation that happened the birth of the Karen yes. you know we think about how white women weaponize um their tears and their upset the about black people and their fragility to the core that's what it was born out of yeah. I'd had a white lady who came and did a trial day a trial morning she didn't even last the day and ran out because she felt that the practice was so abhorrent and so awful because her fragility came all the way out and she realized very quickly she was in a staff team of black and brown women mm. who knew what they were doing they weren't looking to her for any guidance but they were encouraging her to you know be a part of the team as it were yeah. but when you see cultural compatibility not always play out, comes in this assumed superiority complex that sometimes white women in an earlier space come in to try and dictate. Yeah. No, the, the thing's already established. Um, you know, and she'd wrongly accused one of my staff members um, of doing something that hadn't happened. But what had happened as a result of that is that as white people do, if they can't phone the police, then, you know, the next best thing they'll do, they'll phone Ofsted. Yes. Um, but I had already kind of preempted this because I know white women in these spaces within earlier sector. I know what they come in and they assume when they come into a setting where everybody is black and brown. How damaging. It is, but it's, so, the, it's, so it's the legacy, mm. I guess, as well, of what it means to exist as a black, black professional. Yes, as a black professional and a black professional who's a woman. Right. Mm. You know, so when you understand how this works and how the layers work and where and how the intersectionality works, it's never a surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, we know, you know what it's like to be in the classroom and there's a group of Indeed, women I girls do. and you're making noise <laughs> Indeed, and you're laughing I and do. in the corridor <laughs> and the white teacher's like, ladies, be quiet. I can hear you from all the way down. 
And you're like, well, hold on. Hold on a second. Well, why are you behind me? Well, loud, 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 mm-hmm. huh? Like, why are you coming for me? And then everything gets penalised. Yeah. It's your attitude. It's the way you've turned your eyes. It's the way that you've moved your head. It's the way that you've moved your hands. Everything becomes a problem. And you've worked in secondary secondary yeah. education as well, haven't you? So mm-hmm. you've you've been able to do almost like a compare and contrast and Absolutely. see. Um, a little bit like myself, I've worked in primary and secondary yeah. education. Yeah. And sometimes you can go into the secondary space and you can think, I can see kind of what went wrong here in yeah. primary, what was yeah. done and what wasn't done. Mm-hmm. And then in primary, you can kind of see, I don't like the way that this is going to pan out because yeah. I can see what's going to happen when you get to secondary because I can I- yeah. clearly identify you with students and mm-hmm. other staff members who are going to engage with you. And this is going to become a very big problem. So yes. what are we going to do here? So mm-hmm. what's your experience been like having the opportunity to be able to do early years and secondary <laughs> teaching? And secondary teaching. Secondary so teaching. I went into secondary um, uh, because I, and I was teaching at Hillcrest School oh, yeah. um, at the time. Um, absolutely adored, loved Ah, uh, like it was it was fantastic. I mm. loved being at Hillcrest because your vibe attracts your tribe, doesn't it? One hundred. Yeah. And anybody that's listening who knows Hillcrest School, you know, it it is black girls. Yeah, I know Hillcrest. Black yeah. girls, right? And black girls are looking for teachers that can relate. Yes. Not necessarily that they're looking for black teachers, you know, they're looking for teachers that can relate. And one of the most heartwarming things about being a teacher at Hillcrest at that time was having that relatable, um, uh, I guess, experience with those black and brown girls. Because we have to think about our communities and how actually they merge with others at times. And so everybody perhaps, you know, feels something that they can't quite articulate from the white teacher but the mm. black girl is feeling it differently to the brown girl. Yeah. And I think being in that space, when I was teaching early childhood studies, um, I was teaching health and social care, and I was teaching drama because my first degree is in, in theatre um, and English. Okay. So I, I taught a range of subjects, but I was really interested to see what, what was going to be in the workforce. What were we training our workforce in the early years to yeah. do? And I was coming straight out of, out of industry really because I had already been a nursery manager for a number of years and I I almost kind of like took a sabbatical to kind of go and teach just to go and see what it was like on the other end and it was so interesting because like you've just said you see things in primary school and you understand why people have got to where they have got to in secondary Mm -hmm. I see things in nursery and understand why people have got to where they have got to in secondary it's crazy yeah it's crazy but I understand the dynamic of that and the inability for black girls in a single sex school with a predominant white staff team managing mismanaging the engagements the interactions misreading the signs misunderstanding the intonations in 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 the girls voices when they're Mm -hmm. expressing knowing that I speak like that too and we can we can communicate without saying and explaining miss I'm not shouting I'm just saying you don't have to say that with me it's a given yeah like we can have that conversation and these are the very subtle things that are overlooked within the education system because at 15 you can express and articulate very clearly why you feel that a certain decision that's been made was unjust or unfair yeah but at 15 you might not always have the 
privilege of having a teacher that understands that and can advocate, advocate for, for you. you. Yeah, and it's the right. advocating. It's that the advocating. Is key. That it's key, and that is why I loved what I did, Imani, and it's meant that I have been able to harness and really cultivate some very, very, very important relationships for me with a lot of young women who I used to teach at the time, who I still mentor and have contact with now. Yeah. Um, and this was some years ago, do you know what I mean? We're looking at like, <sighs> 10 years is, you know, the amount of time that I still engage with, work with, would call her my friend, who at the time when I went into Hillcrest, I was her sixth form teacher. Yeah. You know, and and that particular young lady, you know, is twenty six now. Oh wow! Um, and she is somebody who I just saw masses of um, potential with, but I also saw how the education system attempted to to crush her and tell her that she wasn't going to be able to do her exams or tell yeah. her she wasn't be able to get the grades that she was going to get. And you know, there were lots and lots of young women like that. But I, I saw it as my duty, I guess, to take them under my wing and, you know, give them a mix of both. You, you know, you need to know about how the education system works, but you also need to have some kind of life direction. Yeah. We need to be able to chat about, man, if it's, <laughs> you know. Yeah. We need to know about how to make sure that sexually we are in the most safe situations. 100, yeah. We need to chat about how you feel if perhaps your sexual orientation isn't mm -hmm. straight. We need to be able to talk about relationship forming and what is the expectation when you get to 17 and, you know, at the time is a thing where somebody might have had, I don't know, your phone number and you don't know how they got your phone number or yeah. that on Snap and all these things. But you need to have teachers that understand deeply how this works mm -hmm. because our community is complex and our community exists in lots of different spaces because when I'm going to Bing's on a Saturday, I'm probably going to see one of my students. When I'm going yeah. to the dance on Friday, I'm going to see the student's parents because I know them and they yeah. know me. But this is what has been lost within our community and desperately needs to come back. That community cohesion where we know everybody, everybody knows me. And it's just that. And you know? it's not something that can be switched off. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. It's, the spaces, it's the same spaces that you're saying you like, you've heard of me from yeah. through, you know, that, as you said at the start, it's a range of different people. And people will be like, yeah, yeah I know Liz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Liz from the nursery, Liz from the dances, Liz used to have blonde hair. Liz, yeah, man, I know Liz. You know, it's that. That's what we need to make sure we are bringing back within our community in order to take hold of things and move forward in a strategic and organised way. And it's so... I'm just listening. I'm absorbing I'm absorbing it's so because it's so important and I can resonate with a lot of what you're saying mm. and it's inspiring to hear you talk about your journey within the edu education space and mm. blending community and education in the right way but also acknowledging that there's there's been challenges there yeah. um, and I think obviously you know that a lot of my work being with young women mm -hmm. and supporting them with um the understanding of healthy friendships and relationships, their, how they see themselves and identity. And often people are like, Imani, you do, a lot, you do a lot with women's empowerment, but you're also doing a lot with the education space. But the two aren't separate because yeah. those women occupy the edu education space. They are the yeah. ones being taught by the, the said education system that I'm trying to challenge also. Yeah. So it's, it's necessary for it to be done that way. Mm -hmm. um, and... 
I think what you say there about as a 15 year old, there are things that happen in school that they can that doesn't quite sit right with some students. And there's been many a time where my eyes and somebody else's eyes have made four and they've looked at me like you heard that, didn't you, miss? Like, mm-hmm. as in to say, I know you heard it. Yeah. Um, what is that? And they'll come to me afterwards because they want to break that down because they didn't know mm-hmm. necessarily how to challenge it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, or they've learned now may not be the time for me to challenge it in the moment. But I want mm-hmm. to have this conversation with you first and mm-hmm. see what you think to see if whether what test or that's also a test for me also, because they're testing whether I'm actually going to advocate on their behalf and challenge that teacher, which I always mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Um, which is another uh, conversation yeah. for another day. Um, <laughs> and then support them to give them the tools to be able to challenge themselves. Um, and that was in really important for them to that. be able to articulate yep. what it is that they're feeling. Why mm-hmm. do I feel that way? And how mm-hmm. am I going to let you know in a way that you understand? Because mm-hmm. you don't speak my language, but mm-hmm. I know that this language, you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Um, and that people can't run away from, teachers included. So teachers included. a lot of the time when I'd had those conversations with young people, boys as well, it is about mm-hmm. reminding them that you can speak up in this space, but there's a mm-hmm. way that you can do it and articulate where you don't have to um, um, behave like a whole new person that's not you. Mm-hmm. But it's about knowing how to challenge those teachers that it's going to make them feel uncomfortable but you'll feel very proud of yourself for being able to do that and step away from that and know that actually I've advocated for myself here mm-hmm. and I know that miss is backing me in the staff room too yeah. um, and that's really important and that's even as as young as primary so of course, of course. as the young as primary skills. to advocate for themselves yeah they, ha- they have to and it's one of the things that we do in our graduation process you know we would talk to the parents of the children that were leaving to go to primary go to reception and talk about you know what may happen when they go into school yeah. and not only giving the parents the tools but also speaking to the children about what's going to probably happen in the classroom doing those pre-visits you know I've been known to go into the the classroom and the head teacher's office of a former student, you know, or child at the nursery before they became a student at school and talk to the class teacher and the head teacher about strategies that we use to engage with mm-hmm. that child so that there is a continuous provision. And that's not done because, you know, I'm, I'm being paid extra to do that. That's done because this is my community, yeah. right? And this is something that is not a joke to me this has ramifications and if we can't do that now you know you have a lot of people talking about they want to support black community they want to support black business they wanted to but as as i said you know i can tell you a million horror stories of how the community does not support but i can tell you three million stories about how the community have had my back 100 percent without fail yeah and these are sometimes the challenges that can bring you under you know, but you must stay absolutely resolute to your end goal. And my end goal in this is to destroy the system, to rebuild it. And I will do that with the power and the support and the coalition and the collaboration of anybody that wants to join this team. I'll be there side by side. <laughs> Not behind, side by side. And this is it, Imani. And I think, you know, we can't, 
we can't um, discount people yeah. wanting to join the anti-racist movement because they're not black. We can't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. We cannot afford to do that because whilst this is happening, you know, white supremacy is laughing. Yeah, and we've talked previously about the importance of allyship and yeah. authentic allyship and what that actually mm-hmm. means and why it's even necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And why it has to kind of come from a non-optical mm-hmm. space and place. It isn't performative, your allyship, or if you're aligning with me in this fight towards anti-racism, it cannot be for your own kudos. No. You know, um, I have had to really think very carefully about how I do what I am doing sometimes with people who I suspect want to come alongside me because it will look good for them, make them look like the good white person. Yeah. And they've had to get their P45, do you know what I mean? And get told to jog on. Yep. But I'm very, very astute to how white people operate in this space. I get a lot of DMs from white women who want to prove to me how non-racist they are. I get a lot of DMs from white women of black children who want to tell me how well they have raised their mixed child. You know, I'm not interested in that. Go and do your work, right? Mm-hmm. And then when the time comes for us to move forward in an organized way, in a strategized way. We'll see who is alongside, do you know what I mean? And I think this, I guess, optical allyship has really been heightened through the black squares on Instagram, Yes. through reposting and sharing. But I see who's about it, Imani, because when I put on my webinars, yep. I see who signs up. Who's coming. And I managed yeah. to secure my spot for next right. week because I missed the last, <laughs> <laughs> I missed the last one. I couldn't believe how quickly. Like, Doing that, putting on on the webinars has just been phenomenal for me because it's meant that I've got to get into the meat of the conversations. There's only so much Instagram posts can do. Yeah. But when people sign up um, for my webinars and I did the the inclusion in role play Mm -hmm. last month, which was very, um, very impactful. Brilliant. Um, And I saw a lot of things that kind of started to change and people's thoughts became really altered when they went back into their settings and they kind of fed back to me and this webinar next week black boy joy talks about the experiences of black boys in early year settings and how we must facilitate joyful spaces for them all the time without taking away what is so joyful about about who they are and that's their blackness yeah you know, we don't seek to erase that in the nursery setting, in the early year setting. So that webinar really will dig deep. But I, I, when did I start advertising that? At the end of my last webinar last month. And then over half of the places sold out. Yeah. And I was like, you no, know. I'm getting my spot this time. <laughs> I think dare. people thought I was ramping. I think people <laughs> thought I was like, on a, uh, you know, on a pretend thing. But literally, yeah. people were just like, yo, I've got to get to the next one. Um, and I make sure that it's affordable. Yeah. Um, and I always, you know, I always make sure that there is um, a, a donation that goes to a, a black run or led organisation. So the last webinar, I donated £2 from each registrant, um, which turned out to be £100 to Amara Spence's oh, Black um, Land Space. Black Land, um, a special justice yeah. fund. Um, this webinar for Black Boy Joy, I am going to be donating £2 per delegate to a podcast called Black Boy Joy that is run by two black queer men. Um, And it's important that we are able to allow people to hold space to speak their truth about their black existence. I echo. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we must make space to have conversations about intersectionality when it comes to sexuality. Yes. 
Um, and as a community, we're not quite there. We're not there quite yet. there. I was just about to say, we're not quite there yet. We, we've got work to do. Necessary. We've got this, a lot of work to do. A lot of work. And that's what I mean about holding people accountable. Um, um, because it's not a space that is going to tolerate any form of marginalization no. of, of other communities. My black community is everybody. Yes. Right? You can't be selective not with whose no, lives no, no, no. matter within the black okay. community. Exactly. Which is a big challenge that I've had big in challenge. the last few, few months. Yeah, well, of course. over the years, to be honest, yeah, but over heightened the over mm-hmm. the last few months to just remind mm-hmm. uh, people within the community that when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, you can't say, not those ones. <laughs> it doesn't Absolutely. work like that. Doesn't work like that. So, it, we can't be. We can't be affording to foster the mentality that that you know white people use to ostracize yeah, exactly. and marginalize and be racist towards us. We can't then foster that and internalize it and then regurgitate it for our own community. And I think if we don't want to talk about the LGBTQ plus um, community, um, but we want to talk about how when I worked at Hillcrest, there are a bagger man that would be waiting outside of the school in their cars, waiting to link year 10, year 11, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Right? We want to talk about that then, because I know them man were not 16, 17, mm-hmm. 18. These men were in their 20s, 30s. So let's talk about that. You know, let's talk about right. sexual exploitation. Let's talk about paedophilia. Let's give it the name that it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be having these conversations and erase the the important conversation about sexual abuse. Yeah. What you know, these are the things. So I seek to have every kind of dialogue, but I will not be exclusionary in my practice or in my message or what I am um, I'm doing with this work. Liz, we could talk. (laughs) (laughs) In my day, I'm like, what? Go on. (laughs) The work, the the realities of what we're talking about are very real and they're at the forefront of many of the different spaces that people people occupy and you can't close your eyes to it. Um, And the work that the work that you do is very emotive also. Um, and how do you look after yourself within that space and remind yourself that you are human also? What a great question, Imani. So what I've done most recently is I've stepped all the way back and I've stepped into a space of training and consultancy, which gives me a work-life balance. And when I say step back, stepped back from being a nursery manager in the setting 7.30 until 6 o'clock or 7.30 until 7 o'clock sometimes, I've stepped all the way back and made the decision to just take it very, very, very easily and look at a different direction now where I can utilise my knowledge and information. I make sure that I spend as much time as possible reflecting and selecting what to do that brings me joy in a in a in a restful sense. Um, I got married last year, and so I realised that you know my my marriage is something that was really important to me, and it deserved all of my commitment and all of my time. Um, and I think that has brought me lots of joy and allowed me to kind of put a perspective on things um, in terms of how do I want to build this life, right, with my husband? What do I want to do to celebrate these elements of me outside of being the nursery manager or at the nursery all the time? Or and when I thought about work-life balance and I thought about family planning, I thought about what best could suit me. And it is this setting up of, of my business, the yeah. Black Nursery Manager, training and consultancy limited which allows me to work when I want to work 
the queen of your own diary yeah it's a it's such an empowering feeling and I think being involved in the family business which has been operating for some 30 plus years I I realize and value the Mm. importance of taking time out because it is relentless you are accountable to so many people you know practitioners students modern apprentices parents children aunties uncles grandparents and then because you're a part of the community that you serve you can't escape it yeah you know people have had at times too much access to me (laughs) yeah and it's meant that I've never been able to have a you know some time off and I realized in preparing for my wedding last year I had to lock a lot of things out of of my personal space and I hadn't been able to do that for a long long time Imani because I I became a work addict yeah and it's so important I think for me it's important to hear you say that because Mm -hmm. as someone who's younger than you um Mm. and looks up to you in terms of the work that you do and the spaces that you're in as well and I can see myself following some of the same paths we share some Mm. of the same experiences already and Mm. I'm trying to be very proactive in giving myself radical rest because I know what burnout feels like and I've been all I've been very very close to that and I know when I'm getting there but part of part of being a good practitioner and being good to yourself is is recognizing when excuse me recognizing when you need to 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 stop yeah because the physical signs are the last things to show yeah exactly Exactly. the last thing to show so you know I'm pretty vain I like to put on my face (laughs) I like to get my hair did I like to get my nails did and there's nothing wrong with that and there's nothing wrong with that but I'm saying if my hair starts dropping out it's a problem yeah yeah you know, if my nails stop growing, it's a problem. If I start feeling good, if I stop feeling empowered about the work that I'm doing, there is a problem mm. because that will only represent itself in a physical sense, you know. And listen, I like to enjoy myself. Yeah, I like to party. Mm-hmm. I like to drink. I like to, you know, not in excess, guys, but I have <laughs> been known. I have been known to. But, you know, I like, I like full enjoyment. Yeah. I absolutely like full dream and I do not shy away from that. I do not hide away from the fact that I like to rave. Mm-hmm. Again, we must live in our truths. Yeah. And we must enjoy the, the process of feeling free and living in a free space. As black women, we should be able to do that unapologetically without judgment and without feeding into respectability politics. Um, there is not one way to demonstrate your academia there's not one way to demonstrate um, how you enjoy yourself. I'm a people person. I like socialising um, and I like bashment. So we are where we are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. No, I love it. And I think you've perfectly summarised, because I was going to ask you, so what does being human mean to you? But you've kind that, of answered all of yeah, that, really. That, that. Is, that is it. It is all of that. It's the rest. Yeah, it's, it's the... Mm-hmm pausing it's the reflecting it's the enjoying it's the balance and it's mm. knowing when the scales are tipping and but yeah. living and feeling it all yeah and being bold enough to say it all yes say it all say it people all. talk about saying it with your chest like I'm a real one mm-hmm. I've got real ones around me people like to say that but are you really living like that yeah you know if your friend is constantly phoning you and not allowing you the space to breathe and do what you want to do are you really telling that friend listen can you start calling me all the time, please? Yeah. Because I'm taking time out for myself. I have friendships where I can do that. Nobody's getting caught feelings. 
Yeah. You know, I, I have spaces where I can go and be myself um, all the time. And I create those spaces. And if so people important. do not respect that, they cannot be a part of my life. And I am not apologetic for it. Yeah. You know, it is what it is. Um, because we have this one life to live, Imani. And I just think we must, as as Black women, us living is... is it's a form of resistance, us even having our natural hair. It's a form of resistance. Imagine that. Everything mm-hmm. about us in our authenticity, you know, it's pushing back against the system that's telling us we're not pretty enough, we're not light enough, our hair's not straight enough, our bottom's not big enough, our breasts aren't big enough, we're not intelligent enough, we haven't got enough children, we haven't got children, we haven't got a man. To, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. Allow me. Just let me live. Just let me live. So that, that is the answer um, to that question. Fantastic. Thank you. This has been such a cathartic conversation. Oh, so glad. Thanks for letting me listen to your dreamy voice. Oh, you're more than welcome, Liz. <laughs> thank you for coming with the energy. Love it. My pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much. No, thank you. And where can people find you? How can they reach I'm out? hiding. Um, you need to, everybody who's on Instagram, um, if you're not on Instagram, you need to go and get yourself a, a, a page, um, an account, and follow me at the Black Nursery Manager um and on twitter i say little but today you know i said a lot um i am infrequently on there but at liz betty pem and that's l-i-z-b-e-t-t-y-p-e-m at liz betty pem um i come up there on twitter as well uh and that's the two places that i exist the most because self-care is also about not putting yourself everywhere it's a lot to manage um, I can't be everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, but I want to give the digital spaces that I am on uh, my authentic energy and all or as much as myself as I can. Um, and I don't want to spread myself too thinly. So, no, I'm not really on Facebook. Uh, I'm not on YouTube. Um, but I am, as I said, on Instagram and Twitter. Fantastic. And are there still spaces for your webinar next week? I think now I haven't checked. The last time that I checked, I had six spaces left. Um, So, I mean, yeah, if you are on Instagram uh, and you are following me, the link is in my bio for Black Boy Joy, which is on the 25th um, of this month at 7.30. It is £12 to register with a £2 donation being given to the Black Boy Joy podcast. Um, And we will be exploring all things joyous and all things Black Boys. So if you've got a laptop... Uh, if you got a computer, you can be involved. Um, there's no I, excuses. I, yeah, there's no excuses, man. If you like what you heard, yeah, I can do this all day. But yeah. Ah, oh, brilliant. Thank you, Liz. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to connect with me on socials, you can at Imani underscore Clough on Twitter and on Instagram. Drop me a message, say hi, and I look forward to connecting with you.